Welcome to the Book Club interview. My name is Scott Hollister, your host. We read a book a week and then interview the author on topics such as business, real estate, and life. Ben Leibovich is a real estate investor, author, speaker, and internet entrepreneur. He was professionally trained as a classical violinist, but a diagnosis of MS in college spelled the end of his dream of becoming a professional musician. Once Mr. Leibovich realized that his medical condition was potentially prohibitive to holding a job, he began a lifelong study of personal finance, investing, marketing, and business. Through the years, he's involved in everything, including running a nonprofit music school, surviving a failed vending machine venture, succeeding in real estate investing, writing books, and selling a course online. So today's learning objectives with the book club interview are to understand house hacking and the three ways to make money as an investor, and how to design the life you want with locational freedom. All right, so without further ado, Ben Leibovich, welcome to the book club interview. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you for having me, but I'm not sure I'm the dude that you read, just the bio you just read. <laughs> Who's that yep. guy? That guy sounds pretty cool. Suppressive I'm not resume. Sure <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, amazing book, by the way. I thought it was, you know, very detailed. It was a smooth process. We were talking earlier, like I, I, I finished the second half on Sunday, a hundred something page. It was just like smooth sailing. Um, so it was well written, very detailed case study of your house hacking experience. And, you know, I happen to agree with you wholeheartedly in the sense of, you know, beginning as a real estate investor, house hacking is, is definitely the way to, to, to financial freedom. And um, you've done a great job outlining it. Um, so let's kick it off and start with your definition of house hacking. So what is it for you? <laughs> well, you hit the nail on the head, right? Right out of the gate, right? So, and I say so in the book. I have a good friend. His name is Brandon Turner. I think he is the one that coined the term. He <laughs> is in the business of inventing terms, and he's a genius at it. And this is one of those terms he, I think he invented house hacking and the tra traditional definition of it though I think most people perceive the word hack or hacking as some kind of a bit of a derogatory kind of not fully baked not fully complete not 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 fully eloquent kind of kind of a term, you know, kind of a sense about it. And it's true because most people looking at house hacking are basically just saying, listen, I'm not really trying to live a better life. I'm just trying to live a cheaper life. Mm -hmm. And how do I use the real estate that I live in, the roof of my head, to kind of compress my expenses, frankly, right? So you move into a duplex, you move into one side and you rent out the other side and the side that you're renting out hopefully pays a portion uh, or maybe even your full mortgage. Well, the derogatory quote unquote part of hacking in that version of house hacking, or you can look at triplex or fourplex, you can't do anything more than the fourplex because of a lot of things, but um, it, it, you know, small multifamily like that. If you, you consider the derogatory, um, what you are dealing with, and by the way, some people rent out bedrooms. I mean, like you have a three bedroom, four bedroom house and you put a lock on the room and you rent out bedrooms, right? So when I, when I consider that, I see nothing but you saying, I am willing to make myself as uncomfortable as I have to in my own skin in order to 
alleviate the pain in my wallet. Mm -hmm. Okay. I just I I don't like that because it's you know it's <laughs> make some money. <laughs> I mean, yep. you know, I frankly, if you have a wife and two kids. There's a limit to how much you're going to compress your lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And if the point of life is to compress it, then I kind of do feel sorry for you because, like, you know, that's not the point of life, yeah. right? It's not the experience you need to have, as far as I'm concerned, anyhow. So I have a family, and I wasn't going to, you know, ask them, or really, I, I wouldn't myself choose to compress my life in that way. And so my version of house hacking is I am hacking being able to expand my lifestyle through the use of this real estate, not simply saying I'm trying to end, uh, make ends meet and I'm trying to live on the cheap as much as possible. I'm saying, listen, I want to have a life that's up here. Mm -hmm. The thing is, I just don't want to pay for that. I mean, I could, but I don't want to. Why should I if I don't have to, right? Um, and so my version of house hacking is really luxury house hacking, whereby you're looking at it and saying, this is what I want. Like, I'm not afraid to admit, I want a McMansion is what I want, okay? With travertine, granite, pool in the backyard, the whole shebang, right? That's what I want. I want it for myself, I want it for my kids. That's what I want, it's up here. I want it, and I'm not going to apologize for it. I just think, you know, I want it. I don't want to pay for it, <laughs> right? Yep. So what do I, how do I do? Well, I use house hacking to kind of take my life from here to here Okay. by way of house hacking. Smart man. Yeah. It's a different perspective. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if it's, you know, somebody smarter that pays house, uh, cash for a house. You know, I'm not I'm not necessarily passing judgment. Um, I'm just saying I wasn't in a position to pay cash for this for this house. Um, I still wanted it and I wanted to make it very affordable. So that's how I did it. Smart man. I love it. Um, yeah, it's a delicate balance with the family life and, you know, not necessarily living to your means, but, you know, going up a level and, and asking yourself, you know, what are the ways, you know, I can get there and um, love that. Creep. Well, there is no balance. Yeah. I mean, it's forget the balance. There is no balance. Uh, you can't you can't ask your family to. I mean, I looked at it. I looked at the duplexes mm -hmm. out here. I looked at all that stuff and it was just there's no way in hell I was going to ask my people to live that kind of life. That's not why we came from Ohio to Arizona. We didn't come yep. for this. We came for something else, right? Uh, but it was my job to make it extremely affordable. In the end, it's costing us less to live here than it is there, but you know, our lifestyle is double or triple or quadruple what it, what it was there. And it's because of the house hacking. Yeah. So let's talk about that paradigm shift that you call in the book and your epiphany, you know, living in uh, Lima, Ohio, surrounded by cornfields. And this happened in the shower, if I'm not mistaken, right? That's <laughs> correct. Most good things come to me there in the shower. There you go. Creative process. <laughs> That's how it happens. Yeah. So what like clicked? I mean, do you just wake up one day and say, you know, are the, are the kids getting older? Are you kind of getting sick of the cornfields or... 
you know, did you, did you, did you get the motivation from Brandon Turner, who's in Hawaii all the time? And you're like, well, you know, let's pick a better place. So what clicked? Where did that, what happened? Okay, so let's set the record straight. Brandon Turner got the motivation from me, first of all. <laughs> okay. Not, not the other way around. Right. Ever since I came to Arizona, he's in Hawaii every uh, two two months. Frankly, a lot of the reason I wrote the book, I wrote it for him because this is what he needs to do in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. I keep trying to tell him, and I think he's just messing around. I I don't know. I would have I would have bought something down there already by now <laughs> with a house hacking component, of course. How it yeah. happened. We outgrew the place. You know, I stopped buying real estate in Ohio in 2013. That 10 unit was uh, on Symphony. was the last building I purchased in Ohio. And I don't know if it's consciously or subconsciously, but I felt we were outgrowing the place and we were going to go do something different. So I was looking to, you know, I bought that thing in 2013. It took me a couple of years to stabilize it. And then by 2016, we were out. So I, I felt, like I said, maybe subconsciously, but I felt that we were on our way out. Uh, it was okay. a small place. Uh, I was getting tired of the cold and the snow and, and the scraping windows and the whole nine yards, the cornfield. I was over it, right? So I wanted to change. Um, and then, you know, I write about that in the book. You know, there was a coffee shop across the street from the school, and my wife and I were crossing the street to pick up the kids after school one day. And, like, you know, you, you, how you have a median in between the, you know, here's they go this way, that way. And then the median, she kind of looks at me like this, turns at me, and says, we got to move. <laughs> and it wasn't one of those, honey, let's please consider this. It was like, you know, jump. Yep. All you can do is say how high, dear. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I can't blame her. I, you know, she says, you know, the kids need more. Um, we were driving, we you know, we were in Lima, Ohio. Lima's a great place. Nothing wrong with Lima. But we were driving for two hours to get to Whole Foods. We were driving for an hour and a half to get to Kuman with kids. Uh, we had literally, I mean, it, infrastructurally, we were stuck in, in nowhere, essentially. And so we were yep. kind of over that. We were done with that. We were over that. Alignment was good for us, but, you know, it was time to move on. I was done with the cold weather. Um, mm -hmm. So we took some time and we looked at Carolinas. We looked at Atlanta. We, you know, but in the end, you know, I, I, everything we looked at, I was comparing to Arizona. Okay. It's like... I think subconsciously I was like, because I like Arizona. I'd been to Arizona a number of times, um, and uh, I enjoyed it. I always enjoyed it, uh, and I, I just any place I went, I, I was comparing to Arizona. You know, the the blue skies, the palm trees, the new infrastructure, great roads. It's you know, for a family kind of life situation, mm -hmm. it's ideal basically okay and um it won out i mean it's at the end yeah. of the day just like house hacking itself you know if that's what you want why make a compromise and go to this other place because it looks like that and acts like that go to the real thing so we went packed the car okay. and went 
Awesome. So you call it locational freedom. So yeah. you said, you know what, that's house hacking. I'm going to raise that that second level. And, and then you had this question, two questions in the book. And you said that the question was no longer how I can afford it. It's you can afford anything as long as it makes you money. So you have this right. idea in head. You're out of Ohio. Um, and it sounds like you visited the place before. You're familiar with it. And that you kind of, you it felt like you had that little connection so you could pair it other places. So right. How did that market dictate what type of house hack to get? Well, first of all, it wasn't the market. First of all, it was okay. we came to scale up. So mm -hmm. while we considered a number of things, we just weren't going to compress ourselves. We didn't come. If we wanted to stay compressed, we would have just stayed put. There is no reason to go anywhere. We left because we wanted a better, more fulfilling, more full life. Um, so that involves, you know, we came for the kids school. So that meant we had to be in a certain geographical location that would be conducive to driving to school every morning. Okay, we would take the kids to school every morning. So I couldn't be a 35 minute drive from the school. Well, that put me in a into a certain area which fit us just well, because you know, you want to call it McMansion or whatever, but it put us into a certain area. Okay. Um, I consider it a live and flip, uh, at the end of the day, a, I didn't yet have contracting relationships. I just mm. came down here. So a live and flip was definitely an option on the table. We, we considered, but uh, no, uh, we decided against it and, and we didn't want to live in that, frankly. Yeah. Uh, another option was just, uh, you know, a duplex, your tradition, more traditional house hack just to, you know, kind of land here and plant our feet and stabilize ourselves and then see what's what. The problem is, uh, the age and quality and location of things like that, small multifamily just wasn't what I was looking for. I wasn't looking for a straight investment. So the the difference here what we started out kind of drawing a distinction between that which is in people's minds as traditional house hack and that what i described in the book and what i'm living living in mm -hmm. the difference is the approach here you have the investment which is what's good for your money here you have your lifestyle which is what's good for your soul in a traditional house hack What's good for your soul goes down here. What's good for your money is really the primary here. That wasn't the case for me. I came here to experience what's good for my soul. So it was here, but I had to underwrite it with somewhat of what's good mm -hmm. for my money. I couldn't just disregard my money simply because I haven't made it in life enough to be able to stroke those kinds of checks. So I had to keep this in place somewhat, but it wasn't going to overtake what's good for me, for my family, for my soul, for my lifestyle. Okay. So a duplex, triplex, that would have been good for my money, but terrible for my soul. And, mm -hmm. you know, that, that defeated the point, purpose. Right? Yeah. So that's kind of how I, I just kept looking. I kept looking and I found an asset class that lent perfectly itself perfectly to doing what I was trying to do had yeah. a little bit of all kinds of components it had a little bit of room 
that I could put lipstick on what was there and create some value. It had an income component to it, but it wasn't an income component that required me to compress my lifestyle. So it kind of had best of both worlds. And as it ended up, there's more income in this than you could potentially have in a normal. In fact, I just published, I just submitted an article for Bigger Pockets just yesterday. I just emailed um, Allison yesterday that I put one in. It's going to be coming out next week. The first 12 months of this house hack. Dude, I looked at, because um, the city wanted uh, their taxes, which ended up like being nothing. I was concerned I'd owe a couple thousand dollars. It ended up being nothing. But um, I looked at my books. It generated $12,000 in the first 12 months. So it was a little bit less than what I anticipated. I think I was shooting for fourteen to sixteen thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't book as many nights as we thought by a long shot, and still generated practically what we were looking for. And the thing of it is, is that what I was trying to accomplish. Well, you know, maybe we can take a step back. The house we were living in in Lima was costing us sixteen hundred dollars all in, PITI. That's what it was costing us in Lima, Ohio. Okay, in Lima, Ohio, we were paying sixteen hundred dollars. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, this house PITI is costing us probably like I don't know twenty two hundred. Okay, because property taxes here are a lot lower than they are in Ohio, which means affordability is a lot greater. So you can take on more mortgage for a much nicer house because mm-hmm. uh, your property taxes are lower, but. It's $2,200, let's say. I think I think my PITI, something around nine, uh, principal and interest, I think around 1,900, then tax and insurance, and let's call it 2,200, something like that. Um, yeah. So minus $1,000 a month. I mean, we're living for less than we did in Lima. But you upgraded your lifestyle. But we upgraded, yeah, yeah. threefold. Yep. Right. Definitely. Um, and that's well, you know we're 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 making more now because we're charging a lot more. Like mm-hmm. when you first and we you know we can touch on that later on, but uh, I think we're gonna hit that fourteen to sixteen this year without really trying. Good. Yeah, no, I I love your approach. I mean, just going into a new market, you said you know here are my options to invest intelligently. Okay, you could a house hack. But the lifestyle, you didn't really want to do that and lining up the contractors just right. yet. So well, It's a synergy, yeah. right? It's the synergy yes, yep. of a bunch of different inputs, just like, you know, your, your, your uh, architects, you know, what's your objective? What do you want to see that picture as? And what's the functionality? How can we blend and synergize the functionality with, with what you see in your mind to make it workable? And this was difficult, yeah. right? Um, if all I wanted was to live on the cheap, there's a bunch of different ways to do that. But that's not all I wanted. I wanted to Definitely. live on the cheap, but I also wanted to live well. So it was difficult. Yeah. So, you, And that, that brought you over to the house hacking. You, you talked about three different ways you can make money with house hacking. So number one, you have the equity house hack, which is an appreciation play. Two, you have the cash flow house hack, uh, which is a multi-unit. And then three is the blended house hack. So what was that thought process? So we already talked about, obviously, the cash flow. You didn't, you mm-hmm. didn't want to go down to you know, the area and the duplex and the lifestyle. Um, sure. The equity house hack, what, what are the 
benefits and with uh, you know downfalls to that? Well, it's controlled solely by the market, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if if you don't have any income, then you don't get paid until you sell or pull the equity out, and. Even two years ago, as I was looking at the market, I'm still bullish on the market, by the way, but uh, we're in, we're late in the cycle. In most areas, we're late in the cycle. Certainly in uh, Phoenix MSA, we're, we're not early. We're, we're pretty late in the cycle. I'm still bullish, but we're pretty mm-hmm. late on the cycle. And two years ago, we already were um, not an emerging market anymore. So the concern I had was, you know, holding through the cycle before I can sell this house hack. Um, and if my only way to get paid and to offset my burn was to sell the house or to refinance the house, well, refinancing doesn't really work in this case because you're just making your burn higher and that's not the point. Um, but to sell this house, if that's my only option, then I am really controlled by the market cycle and I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know what the market cycle is going to do. So that wasn't very appealing to me. And it put me in a place where I was at the end of the day, the one responsible for PITI. Yes, I could sell it and generate $70,000 of capital gains and pay for my entire stay on the back end. But I, you know, who can time those kinds of things? Right. You have to stay in the house for two years, according to the tax law, in order not to pay capital gains on your primary residence. Right. Um, And a lot of things could happen in two years. And that meant that I would be the one carrying this for two years. And then I'd have to I'd have to sell it in order to liquefy myself. Right. Out of this house. I just didn't it didn't appeal to me. It seemed uh, very complex and there's a lot of question marks and yeah. I, I wanted the income. I wanted you know, I I wanted both, really. Yeah. Because there are questions about the income and there are questions about the equity. So if I have a play on both sides of that, then maybe one of them is gonna work. I mean if two of them work, then that's just frosting on the cake. But at least maybe one of them is going to work to offset my burn, which is the essence of hacking, mm-hmm. in-house hacking. So it brought you to the blended approach. Um, it brought me so, to the blended approach. Yeah. So let's talk about your case study, um, which you do a wonderful job of breaking down chapter by chapter in the book. I think it is very detailed on just one case study. Um, so, you know, some call it a mother-in-law suite in the Southwest. I'll probably, you know, mispronounce this. They call it casistas. Is that true? Casita. Casita. Okay. But in the Leibovich household, you call it cha-ching. So why don't you explain a little bit about that? (laughs) Well, we bought a house. So if you imagine a horseshoe-shaped house, um, if it stands up, then you have kind of the right hand, left hand, and then, you know, a thing over the top, right? You take that and you put it on the side. So underneath here is where the street is, right? And then you have this kind of you know, horseshoe on its side. So you have the main house at the back. Then you have a little laundry room and the garage over here. And then attached to the garage wall is this little casita. And you can think of this casita as a bedroom. It's a nice bedroom with a bathroom and a walk-in closet. Of course, we took the wall out, took the door off, 
made a little kitchenette in the walk-in closet, hung Mm -hmm. some uh, travertine surround in the bathtub, made it very nice, granite countertop. So that's the first thing we did. And uh, we put it on Airbnb and VRBO. Um, And, you know, at this point, I think we're getting somewhere like $70 or $80 a night for these bookings. Yeah. We started out uh, lower than that because, you know, you needed to get some reviews, some five stars, some, you know, status on those platforms. But once you do that, you can uh, you can push it. Now, the, the the absolutely brilliant thing about this is, you know, people don't understand it who don't who haven't been in real estate long enough. But doing an eviction is not fun. Um, people, you know, when, 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 when people's back is to the wall and people are frustrated, they do some stupid stuff. Okay. Uh, and certainly in an eviction situation, there's a lot of distress. That's why the situation is happening. Whole luxury house hacking is full of oxymoron kind of, uh, uh, instances or, or, or bullet points luxury in a house hack situation is an oxymoron in and of itself. The other one is that most people feel that having a 12-month lease in any kind of rental situation is the best option. In this case, I disagree. I don't want to have a lease because if I have a lease, if they don't perform, I have to evict them. That's my only remedy. And I don't want to have to evict anybody that's living in my house next to me in the door across the courtyard. So what I want is short term, okay, which works out very well for the money because velocity of money is higher so you can make more money. That's a whole another uh, conversation. Mm -hmm. But that's another reason I didn't like an idea of a duplex, triplex, fourplex. I mean, putting somebody in a bedroom in my house was a no-go to begin with because I have a family and I have a sense of sense of logic. <laughs> Logical people don't do that. But um, I know Scott Trench is like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Logical people don't do that. Um, but putting somebody next door to me on conditionality that would potentially require an eviction was also a no-go for me. I didn't want to deal with that. I know full well what evictions are like, okay? Mm -hmm. Lastly, uh, I mentioned velocity of money. It's just when you rent, it's, it's it's a kind of a basic economics principle. The faster the money flow, the more opportunity to make money you have. In a vacation rental situation where you're renting out, you know, I'm not necessarily saying per night, but you know, several times a month, you are going to look at making more money than on a monthly lease. So with all of those things combined, Airbnb and and Airbnb style of rent Mm -hmm. was what I was looking for. Now, I also wanted something that I didn't have to share a wall, if possible, with the rental unit. And I got that here because if you imagine this horseshoe, like mm-hmm. 
between the top and the bottom, you have this courtyard. It's about 25 feet across. Um, and it's attached to the garage wall at the bottom of that horseshoe. So th there's no sound transmission. So it's, it's, it's an ideal kind of thing. Um, yeah. What makes this a blended house hack is that it's very well located. It is as likely as anything else to appreciate. Um, and it did allow for a few improvements that would help it to appreciate. So it's kind of a blend between a live and flip, um, although we're so comfortable here that I don't know where we're gonna go. I mean, it's really, it's a, it's, it's a mansion next because the, what else <laughs> are you gonna, I mean, I just, you know, and it's very well located, very comfortable. I don't know why we'd need anything else at this point. Um, but it's got that component and it's got the income component. So kind of one or the other will work and so far the income has worked. That's good. Yeah, you didn't limit the exit strategies as well. You know, you, you still pick something that it's still attractive to the majority of the population in that area. Right, and that's you know? a good point. You know, um, most of the buyers for a triplex are your investors. Um, and they have a different set of criteria because most people aren't buying that triplex as a house hack. Most people are buying it as, a, as an investment. And in some cycles, that really unleashes the value. But in other cycles, it really compresses the value. But you're certainly uh, limiting your audience when, when you do that. In this house, it has functionality of a duplex, but mm -hmm. to somebody else, that casita is an office. To somebody else, that casita is really, you know, what it's designed to do, a mother-in-law suite. Um, and it works this way because we live in a nice place where there's a lot of uh, population uh, trends that support mm -hmm. this floor plan. Good. Uh, in terms of the appraisal process in Arizona, did that, you know, Casita add a lot of value in the comparables in the same neighborhood without that or? No, I, I you know, this was originally built as such. What they do is they call this like multi-generational floor plan. Mm -hmm. And the reason they do this in Arizona is because in Arizona, like I'm 12 minutes away from Intel. So... Uh, a story that goes like, you know, he's coming down, he's got a couple of kids, his his father has passed away, but his mom's coming with them, she wants to help out, uh, but she doesn't want to be in the middle of the family life, but she wants to be readily available, a lot, a lot, a lot. You see that story unfold all over the time, all over the place, right? So they buy a house like this, and this has her own, bed. Uh, she has her own bedroom, her own bathroom. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's across the courtyard and, uh, we have that it's Arizona. Yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of young people are coming for jobs. A lot of older people are coming uh, with them, things of that nature. So this kind of floor plan makes sense here. You don't see it in many other places because this dynamic doesn't exist exactly in the same way in many other places. But here there are specific pockets of these houses. Uh, does it add value? Yes, but mm -hmm. you know, it's listen. If you are like, for instance, I could be my. I'm sitting in a room above the garage. Um, this is the only room upstairs. 
for me, this adds a lot of value because my wife runs a business, because I record podcasts, and I don't need kids to be, you know, yelling next door, right? So for me, this adds a lot of value. Not only that, but because I am self-employed, I want to deduct my office on taxes. And having its own entry point by way of a stairs outside that leads into this room, and this is the only way to get into the room, and the only reason anybody goes out here is because it's an office, guess what? There's never going to be any red flags associated with me deducting the square footage and the repairs and everything else on this room. Okay? So to me, this has value. But to somebody else, it's a bedroom. But if you consider it as a bedroom, you have to leave the main house, go upstairs via the steps, and go up here. If you're a parent and you have a teenager, are you going to put them up here? Can you control what they're doing up here? Same is true for the casita, right? So so this particular floor plan is very valuable to some people, but very kind of clumsy to others. Like if you have a family where you need five bedrooms, even though this is this could be a five-bedroom house, it's probably not ideally laid out for mm-hmm. a five-bedroom house. I have a house with exactly the same lay- layout next door to us in the same situation. His office is upstairs. They've got a couple of kids. His office is upstairs. They've got a craft room in the, in the casita, and, and that's what they do. For them, it works very well because in the craft room, you can keep all the mess in the craft room. You're not taking it into the main house. He's got an office, and they've got still a three-bedroom, two-bath main house. You know, So <clears throat> there is a segment of population for whom this really works. Um, and it's quite popular. People like casitas out here in Arizona. Good. Did you give him a copy of your book yet? Maybe you could pick up some ideas. Yeah, it's on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's talk about, all right, you got into the place, you had a, what you call a little bit of lipstick, um, you know, in the main house and then in the casista, you, you wanted to do over. So with thinking of your short-term, you know, tenant in mind, what was your rehab process? You know, I, I know you talked about it in the book, but you could, you know, do this rehab for $4,000 or was it, you know, the next step for $8,000? Right. So everything to me comes down to making it as easy to maintain something as possible. The ease of maintenance has to do, 99% of it has to do with who is the end user going to be. So what you do in a rehab, first of all, what you've bought in the first place as your asset. And this is just as true of 150 unit that I'm going to underwrite today as it is of a casita house hack. What you buy is going to attract who you are going to end up with. Mm -hmm. There's very little that you can do past the point of purchasing it to you, you can you can you can build on or you can showcase and make it more clearly apparent what you have. But you will not take a pig and turn it into a frog you, or vice versa. You know, it's, it's not possible. You're not going to be able to do that. That's not how real estate works. Mm-hmm. And people don't understand this, but that's not how real estate works. So what I needed to do was I needed to attract the kind of people to this house hack who would make my life easy, who would be extremely respectful to me and my family and my property, 
who would pull up in very nice cars that are not dripping oil, who essentially would be able to afford $300 a night hotel, but would make a decision to stay in my casita instead because it's nicer than that $300 hotel, but three times as less expensive. So why overpay? But I, I, what I didn't want to have is somebody who can afford to pay $25 a night because that's all they have. That's all they can afford. I didn't want that person. Nothing against them, but there's a reason why their behavior in life leads them to a place where all they can afford is $25 a night. And I don't want that kind of behavior or anything near it uh, around me mm-hmm. in my house. Okay? So nothing against them. I'm sure there's a place for them, but not at my house. Is what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay? So I wanted to be able to attract people with options, people with money, people who could do whatever they wanted to do, whatever they needed to do. And this was one option. And I wanted them to pick this option because it was really a no brainer option, not because it's all they could afford, but because it was just an awesome way for them to go. So that's why I needed to make the casita look a certain way. The, The beautiful part about this is that this is exactly what I wanted for myself and my family and my life. This is why we moved. We wanted the nicer things. So it was one of those synergies where by having the nicer thing, we're creating, we're attracting more of that nicer thing energy, meaning nicer guests that can afford to pay more money. So the actual math worked out very interestingly where I could have spent $150,000 less for a house. Maybe I could have found one with a casita, but then I would have had to be dealing with people who can afford $25 a night. So on balance, I would have probably paid more to stay in a lesser house and had more headaches to, to, to manage the $25 a night, you know, guests than I am here having paid more for the house, but generating so much income to offset the burn that I'm actually paying less to be here. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's awesome. Makes sense? Yeah. Another oxymoron. Yep. Um, how um, important were those reviews on, you know, HomeAway and, you know, other sites that you used yeah. to, to increasing that? I think you said you started out at $65. Now you're, you know, 85 plus. Um, did you see, you know, people booking faster or was it, you know, people that are more confident with more five-star reviews? So the first booking came in literally within two hours of, the ad being live on Airbnb. Nice. <laughs> and I was like, it was a surreal situation because I had no baseline. Yeah. I, I hadn't had any experience in this. I didn't know what to expect. So it was just like, wow, this really works. <laughs> so the first ad, and we started out at $59. Um, we had to, we went down to like, $43 or something for the summer because it's hot over here. So we went way down. Okay. Now we're somewhere between 70 and $80. We'll fluctuate there between 70 and $80. Um, what's going to happen this summer? This is a second summer. I don't know. I probably won't have to go down as low simply for the fact that now we have so many reviews. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, yeah, the reviews are very important. 
and how you stage things and specifically the bed is very important because those people will tear you apart <laughs> if you have them sleeping on a lumpy thing that's no good. Yeah. They they will let the world know. So staging is important. Yeah. Well, I, I love the the fact how you, you separate yourself and, and this is just from my experience staying over, you know, at you know, homeways and, and things like that, but you know, you provide, you know, the coffee, the <laughs> snacks, cereal, milk, and you said even a bottle of wine. Like Yeah. So you know, someone just going into this, you know, that's a lot of money to probably upfront with each tenant. Do you, and have you gotten a lot of reviews based off those little things that you you know you provide? No, I think a few reviews probably mention them. Okay. Uh, but I know from contact with guests, they yeah. do appreciate that. So it's not really a lot of money, dude. A bottle yeah. of wine is four or five bucks. You know, <laughs> yeah. with, you know barefoot you know whatever but it's still you know yeah it's still a nice gesture yeah um the um the keurig that we have in there you know once every i mean it's not like people come here to drink coffee so once every two or three months uh, i'd go to costco and get a big old box of these of these coffee pods you know yep. it's not like it's huge money yeah i mean yeah there are some expenses but they're minimal for the amount of revenue that you generate definitely no that's awesome and i just said you know from from my experience in house hacking you know when i bought i bought two single family homes on the same lot rented out one and lived in the other with a roommate to to try to you know, get away from that process. Oh my God. Oh, it's, it's amazing. No, you didn't just say a roommate. Hey, but I was 25, not, you know, not this married, is the not point. Kids. This is the point. <laughs> you know, I had, I wrote a couple of articles on this on BP yeah. and they were somewhat controversial. Not that that bothers me, <laughs> no, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's what we do. But the main distinction here is that you will do things when you are 25 <laughs> that you will absolutely not do when you are 37. Yeah. Or you shouldn't because you haven't moved up in life. You haven't gone through your psychological progression in life. It's so funny. You know, we, as an educational system, like we have psychological profiles for children, right? When you are six months old, you're supposed to be able to do X, Y, Z. When you're 12 months old, X, Y, Z. When you're two years old, you're supposed to do this. And we track the children's development based on these timed kind of uh, uh, hurdles, mm -hmm. right? But we stop doing that when the people become, you know, eight years old, nine years old, 10 years old. And specifically when you're 18 and you graduate from high school, what? We assume that people stop growing intellectually, psychologically. People don't stop growing. So I have to tell you, if you are 25 and you have somebody sharing a, a house with you, and, and you know, I get it because at that stage in life, what's good for your wallet is right here. What's good for your heart is maybe having a friend living with you. So it kind of makes sense, right? Yeah. But when you're older and you have a family and you have a wife and when you have some um, freeway that you are seeing in the rearview mirror yep. at that point, you shouldn't be doing that. There is something wrong with your development if when you are 40 years old and you have all these things, 
and you are at, as Rich Dad calls it, halftime. And you're supposed to have your ball rolling and what you have is a friend living in the back. I mean, that just doesn't work. So what I wanted to get across, and I hope I did, but the reason I wrote the book and the reason I do these interviews and the reason I write the articles is because you can apply house hacking in a way that is conducive and makes sense for an older person mm -hmm. with a family. I mean, if you are a retiree, and let's let's call you let's call you a doctor who's worked really hard. You've got three million net worth, five million net worth. Most of it is in paper uh, paper uh, assets. But you know, I'm describing a 65 year old person. You are ready to retire from your practice. It's not like you're a pauper, but it's not like you have this unlimited capacity to write checks either. You know, yeah. you've worked very hard and you've done okay. Why wouldn't you buy a house like this and supplement your income to a tune of a thousand, two thousand dollars a month? I mean, this year is going to be much better than the twelve thousand we did last year. Yeah. Uh, I think February this casita brought in literally two thousand dollars. I think this month we're probably like at seventeen hundred. Great. Yeah. I mean. First of all, how difficult is it to generate that kind of cash flow with pure rentals? Mm -hmm. It's very, very hard. Secondly, you have a lot of headaches generating this kind of cash flow with pure rentals. This is very comfortable. It doesn't require any compression of lifestyle. It's convenient to manage. It requires there's, there's the lowest barrier to entry of any real estate investment. You know, and it's applicable to so many people. You know, if you're a retiree, why would you say no to a thousand, two thousand dollars a month of income? Even if you do have a net worth of three, five million dollars, which describes a lot of professional people that have done well but aren't independently wealthy. Yeah. And certainly if you're not one of those people, why would you not do that? Yeah. You know, if you have a net worth of a half a million dollars and you're sixty five years old and you're retiring, why would you not do that? Yeah. It's 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 a fantastic way to supplement your uh, Social Security income or your, your 401k income or whatever. Yeah. Um, and for for people like us, you know, I was doing an interview with Gino um, of Jake and Gino, you know, yep. and he was relocating. I think he was going to Florida and he yeah. was like, dude, this is brilliant. I'm, I'm doing my McMansion. I mean that's why that's why I'm going, you know. Yeah. So I mean it's it makes sense that it it uh, if the reason we are in real estate is to create value so that that value can buy a better life for ourselves and our families, then all that I'm doing here is combining the two. I'm creating value at the same time. I'm having the asset itself create the value that pays for the asset. I'm doing it, you know, instead of going like, okay, I'm going to create the value right here and then I'm going to parlay that value into a better life for my family. I'm just looking to the asset itself to create the value which pays for a better life for my family. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm combining two steps into one, but it's the same concept. That's the reason we're in real estate. Yeah. Yep. No, I, and 
that creative process is amazing and that's kind of you know the process i'm on you know i'm engaged now getting married at the end of this year and we've moved you know from that house act yeah thanks and then but i but i understand because of yeah, her I bet input she would, she yeah didn't like that yeah I, yeah very much so yeah so now yeah. it's a three bed one bath live in flip so it, i see that slow changing process but i feel like your book kind of put that creative thinking process that necessarily yeah. wasn't there yet and i'm like oh, okay so we we can upgrade our lifestyle and there, there's other ways to do it with that that blended house hack um and right. just thinking on that process you know i was a teacher four years in my first year you know i got approved for maybe 175,000 on a forty-three thousand dollar salary but i was able to use the income from that house hack to qualify for a bigger purchase is that <clears throat> The same thing with a vacation rental, and did you use that or? Okay. No. Yeah. No. The the yeah the beautiful thing about this is that when you buy an SFR, yeah, you qualify as an owner occupant. You get the best kind of financing options available. Now most people think of an SFR as uh, a three bed, two bath where you rent out one of the bedrooms or two of the mm -hmm. bedrooms or whatever. What I have is still considered an SFR. Yeah. It's designed as an SFR. It is zoned as an SFR. I live here as my primary primary residence. Yeah. It's an SFR. It just has a couple of twists. Okay. That I, you know, work for my advantage. But yeah. it's an SFR. I am not again, I'm not really using this income as a stepping stone to the next thing because I can't really figure what the next thing is going to be. The next thing I think uh, requires me to be in a frame of mind where I just really don't care how much it costs. I mean, I just, yeah, I, you know, I want it and I, I have the money to buy it, yeah. um, which I'm not there and I won't be there for a while. For now, this house is, you know, very comfortable for us and I think it's going to be comfortable for quite some time. Yeah. And definitely, I think there's different, you know, stages of an investor and you're at a different place to someone who's a beginner looking at house hack. And on page 35, you know, talking on no money down financing, um, the process of building wealth as opposed to preserving wealth. So that's that right. forced appreciation on the you know beginning and you're, you're not trying to lock away equity. Um, and the same thing in your career, I think you did what, 5% down, you know, as little as possible, yep. you know. And try to force some equity through the the lipstick repairs. Um, mm -hmm. So when does an investor, you know, reach that preserving wealth? You know, where they can is it is it the amount of capital they can lock down in a down payment, or is it, you know, uh, I I don't know. That's such an individual question. Okay. Um, I, you know, I, I am not there. Obviously, mm -hmm. um, I'm still looking for opportunities too create yeah but um and you know this house hack is one of them yeah but um uh, i think your health has a lot to do with it i think there's a lot more that goes into that decision outside of money okay. money and balance sheet yeah you know um yeah i don't think there's a right time and the wrong time to pursue one methodology or the other it's just it's it's what's right for you and only you can know okay case by case basis um now, i think so yeah you had another great you know 
metaphor, you know, kind of on the magnitude of income. So you talked about money in your life as a river with the investor in the middle. So how do we as investors become a good filter of that money? And, and what did you kind of mean by that, you know, life as a river with the investor in the middle? Well, there are opportunity. Uh, okay, so people think of opportunities uh, of success mm -hmm. in one of two ways. Um, either it's a competition, the process of competing, or it's a process of creation. So there's, you know, there's two ways to look at it. If you, I don't like the concept of competition, even though obviously we all know very aggressive people who are very successful. What we don't know is what's in their heart and soul and how happy their success really truly makes them. But we all know people who will step on your head to get to where they need to get to. And, you know, that's just the bottom line. Mm -hmm. But if you think of competing, then that defines success as a limited quantity asset. That there's only so much of it and you have to outdo, outcompete another guy in order to get yours. Okay? So that ultimately perceives life through a scarcity standpoint. That there's a scarcity of success and scarcity of opportunity. And you know, I don't think it's the healthiest way to look at it. The other perspective is that of creation that says that you can create your own opportunity and you can create your own success. Okay? By adopting this point of view, what you are saying is that the opportunity is endless. As long as you know how to apply yourself, how to, how to create the opportunity. Because it didn't exist before you created it. So it's not like somebody could have outcompeted you for it because it didn't exist before you created it. So if you're good at creating opportunity, then there's an endless supply. So I prefer to think of life and business as an opportunity to create. And sometimes you fail and sometimes you succeed. And hopefully you succeed more than you fail. But it's a competition with yourself and that's about it. Hmm. You're creating, you're creating. So this house hack was just pulling income out of thin air, just, just creating an opportunity basically, just like everything else. Right. Man. Uh, in terms of, <coughs> in terms of life, financial life being a river, there are deals going on all the time, every day, all around you. And you know, the way to, create an opportunity for yourself is to basically insert yourself into those deals in some capacity um, so that both sides of the deal kind of benefit and you benefit in the middle. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you think of money as a river of money and you are the mesh filter and the money is flowing and, you know, your filter is catching some of those dollars that are falling at your feet, the better your filter function is, the more money is falling at your feet. Interestingly, the faster the flow, the more volume of money is flowing, the more money you can catch. So instead of buying a duplex, see if you can syndicate 120 units. 
Mm -hmm. There's going to be a lot more money flowing, and so you'll have uh, capacity to catch a lot more money. Now, to catch a lot more money, hang on. <laughs> to catch a lot more money, obviously, like we're, we're comparing purchasing a duplex, that's two revenue streams, purchasing 120 units, that's 120 revenue streams. Obviously, what's required is if you have this this mob of money basically pushing through your filter, it'll knock you over if you don't know what you're doing. Now, you can handle a duplex, okay, but are you a good enough and strong enough filter to handle a mob of 120 revenue streams going, okay? So, obviously, to, to create better opportunities for himself for yourself you have to be better you have to be a better filter more knowledgeable mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know more everything okay but having said that that's all it is okay you're a filter oh, that's the great. better you get the better the more money gets to flow through you the more money gets to flow through you the faster the more money you have a chance to catch mm -hmm. that's all it is yeah um, firm believer in education. And I think, you know, th your book did a great job of getting, you know, not necessarily, hey, this is a blueprint, but getting yourself to think out of the box and think of different right. options available. Um, so I just want to say thank you very much, you know, for, for being on the book club interview and uh, appreciate your time very much, Ben. And, you know, sure. My pleasure. And, you know, it is kind of a, a, a blueprint. Yeah. You wouldn't believe how many my, my wife is an agent here in Phoenix. Yeah. And you wouldn't believe how many people read the book and they send me an email. Dude, help us help us find what you have. And she's helped a bunch of people find and everybody's doing great. Oh, it's great. That's a great niche to be in as an agent. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and the bonus yeah. features that, you know, you offer on your website as well. Um, we're great. So if you want to tell uh, listeners where to, you know, pick up some more information. Oh, my website is www.justaskbenwhy. And that concludes episode number two with author Ben Labovich on house hacking, a real estate investor and creator of www.justaskbenwhy.com. Make sure you subscribe. Also, leave us a review on iTunes and check us out on Facebook at The Book Club Interview. That's it for today, and we'll see you next time.